Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, April the 13th, 2023. Uh, last year, I did an interesting show with a young political scientist, Jacob Grunbach, on the crisis of American democracy beginning at the local level. Um, he seems to suggest, Grunbach, that um, in his new book, Laboratories Against Democracy, that the profound, sharp divides in at the federal level between Democrats and Republicans are now metastasized, if that's the right word, to the local level. So local and national politics in America looks alike. We also did a show last year with another of America's leading political scientists, Richard Hazen, on making American democratic speech more expensive. Um, he has a new book out, Cheap Speech. Both were rather pessimistic about the state of American democracy last year. And both came to mind when I was looking at a, an essay in the New York Times today by my guest, uh, Thomas Byrne Edsall on Republican strategies. He quotes both Grumbach uh, and Hazen in his analysis that the Republican Party has been, it seems at least according to Edsall, has been profoundly um, affected, uh, corrupted indeed by uh, anti-democratic sentiment. Uh, this is articulated not just in um, uh, in Edsel's latest New York Times piece, but in a book uh, that is out this month, The Point of No Return, American Democracy at the Crossroads. And I'm thrilled that uh, Tom Edsel, who's a legendary journalist, been writing some magnificent pieces in the New York Times for many years, is joining us from his den in Washington, D.C. I thought originally it was an inn, but it's a den. Uh, Tom, welcome, and thanks so much for appearing on the show. Uh, you quote a number of rather pessimistic studies in, in your latest piece and indeed in your, in, your, in your new book. Are you really pessimistic? darkly pessimistic about the state of American democracy? Uh, I would say I am not optimistic. Uh, and if anything, the trend has been a downward spiral. The, uh, uh, the politics in this country have been moving in uncomfortably dangerous directions, not, not fatal, but uh, dangerous directions. And there's been very little to stop this momentum. In fact, well, not very little. The, the 2022 election uh, did halt some of the process, but the D Republican Party is still continuing down its path towards what I would call minority authoritarianism. It's not just my word, it's someone does, others use it. The, uh, and I, the Democratic Party is still, I think, remains uh, perplexed, perhaps is the best word. They haven't figured out where the party stands, what's happened to the party of the working men and women, uh, why doesn't it have the credibility that it used to have. Uh, it's still, uh, so you have one party struggling and another party pursuing a pretty coherent 
agenda to try to keep power despite the forces that are pushing the Republican Party increasingly toward minority status. Your book, Tom, is called The Point of No Return, American Democracy at the Crossroads. And when I see the title and the subtitle, they seem in contradiction. If we are indeed at the point of no return, then American democracy isn't at the crossroads. It's chosen a path, uh, the point of no return. What is true? Are we, have we arrived at the point of no return or is American democracy still uh, at the crossroads in terms of choosing whether it's going to destroy itself or, or reinvigorate itself? Well, I wouldn't necessarily consider the two as contradictory as much as you say. I think the country is at a crossroads. Uh, and if it goes in further along, much further along these lines, uh, it would be past, past the point of no return. The, there, I think there is an argument to be made that the Republican Party has passed the point of no return, that it has become a party of anti-democratic principles or goals. The Democratic Party has not reached that point, but it has not figured out a way to bring the country back on course on a false, in a full sense. A lot of this grows out basically of polarization where voters, there's a phenomenon called affective polarization, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, where people see the opposite party in very emotional and threatening terms with the other party, Republicans or Democrats, are, is, is believed to be anti your basic way of life. And if it wins, if the opposition party wins, you're, it will attack the way you want to conduct your family life, your, your religious beliefs or non-beliefs, your, uh, the kind of community you have, that the sex life that you think is appropriate. Uh, these basic, what's happened is that partisan politics has taken on an identity characteristic where both Republicans and Democrats see their, their identities under assault from the opposition. This is a very hard kind of politics for a, a democracy to handle, especially a two-party Right. And, and, and it speaks perhaps of a broader crisis, the crisis of liberalism, the great liberal theorists of the 20th century, Isaiah Berlin, for example, fought aggressively for the right to private life. What you're suggesting is that the crisis in American politics is that of private life. Both sides are unwilling to accept the private lives of others. In your uh, excellent Times piece this morning, when you were talking about Grumbach, who I, I think is a very impressive young man, um, you suggested that Grumbach believes that the Republican Party is now defined, and I'm quoting him, uh, by this weird uh, combination of extremely uh, wealthy individuals with a voter base motivated by cultural and democratic uh, demographic threat, essentially of race. And, and, and you make the same 
a point of, uh, in, a, in a piece you made uh, in the Times in March of this year titled The Unsettling Truth About Trump's First Victory. And you suggest that a lot of people are suggesting that the centrality of racial animosity is the core now of the Republican identity, whether it's white wealthy racists or perhaps uh, working class white racists. Is that true? Am I exaggerating, uh, Tom? Is race increasingly defining this identity of the Republican Party, both at the, the high end, shall we say, and at the low end? I, I think race is, a cent is central. I would be careful about the use of racism. There, there are really opposing views on why are black Americans not reaching the same levels of success economically, scholastically, and otherwise, as why are they still staying so far behind white Americans? There, there is one view that this is the result of, of discrimination over, and segregation over centuries, and slavery for that matter. And the other view is that uh, uh, blacks are not trying hard enough. This is the conservative view. That's, these two views are become, they, they are a key dividing point between left and right at this juncture. And the belief that blacks are not trying hard enough is held by conservatives who may be principled, and it's also held by conservatives who may well be racist. So it's, it's a more complex situation, but race is key to it. And race has become integral to basically every question. Taxation, people want to, conservatives don't want their tax dollars being spent for undeserving poor, and undeserving poor in their mind are black Americans. So they have a complex situation where the taxes are felt that way, regulations are often interpreted this way, housing policy. Uh, it, it, race, race has now become integral to, <coughs> excuse me, almost all the issues that now are controversial and before us. Tom, are you, some people might think that you are perhaps over-dramatizing this crisis throughout American history. Again, you don't need me to tell you this. Civil war, cultural unrest in the 1960s, huge divisions on, on, in racial terms throughout the country's history. Why, uh, why should we be more concerned in the 2020s about this? Well, in part because, in like, for example, in the 1960s and the uh, the situation now has become politically polarized. The uh, uh, and you now have a clear division. Both parties have become either consistently liberal in the case of Democrats or consistently conservative. So that right, you go down the whole list from racial policy, tax policies, all kinds of things, transgender policies. Uh, gay rights policies, you name it, the left-right divide now is deeply embedded in politics. That has not been the case before. There used to be much more overlap between the two parties. When you have the two parties divided this way, 
It intensifies animosity and the idea of us versus them becomes much more intense as the parties become either them or us. So it, I think one of the reasons why it is particularly acute now is that it has gotten so much, it, it is now into our sense of, of who we are. And I don't think that was the case before, except it was the case in the Civil War. And then we did have a civil war. We've done lots of shows on the Republicans, less on the Democrats. You had an interesting piece in the Times from February about uh, the the loyalty, particularly of the black American voter to the Democratic Party. You said at the beginning, Tom, that the crisis, and I'm, that's my word, not yours, but the problem with the Democratic Party in America, in contrast with the Republicans, is whereas the Republicans seem to know exactly who and what they are, the Democrats have no idea of, of who or what they are. Perhaps you might talk a little bit more about that and, and, and speak about why that might also represent a kind of crisis for American democracy. Well, the fact is that Republicans are overwhelmingly white, so they don't have to have too many internal conflicts over racial issues. Uh, I think the Republican Party vote is roughly 82% white. Democrats are a much more uh, mixed population. They're about 60% white. They're substantially uh, maybe 26% uh, black, a large number of Hispanics, and, in, and a growing number of Asian Americans. It's managing a coalition that the Democrats have is a much more difficult process. It is, however, the, the growing uh, the Democrats, the big advantage is that they have groups that are, generally speaking, growing, whereas Republicans have groups that are, generally speaking, declining. Uh, but in terms of coalition management, it's much more easy to fracture the Democratic Party by finding what we call wedge issues that split blacks and whites or split blacks and Hispanics. A lot of fight you see now in cities is between uh, blacks trying to, to win mayoralities and controls of city councils and Hispanics. The same thing in places like Chicago and Los Angeles, uh, even uh, Boston. Uh, and this will soon be happening here in Washington, the city of Washington. So you, you, it, it, there, there are two sides to this. I mean, the, the, the Democrats have sort of better, a better vote base looking in the long term, but a more problematic voter base. But aren't then the two parties in a sense similar in that they're both, both rooted in one kind of cultural identity or another? You had an interesting piece recently in the Times about the death knell for higher education in Florida, obviously with a view on, uh, on, uh, on the governor there and his potential race for presidency um are the cultural wars raging on both sides tom is that really the problem you mean within each party yeah well not only not so much within each party but between the two parties they are well you really had an upheaval of the parties over the past 30 years on education for example the republican party used to be the the better educated 
the more uh, more college graduates. Uh, it has become the party of the non-college graduates. The Democratic Party uh, has become increasingly the party of people who have graduated college or even have postgraduate degrees. If you have a postgraduate degree now, the odds are pretty high that you are a Democrat. Uh, this has really changed the character of the two parties, as has the income character. Democrats now represent the overwhelming majority of high-income uh, congressional districts. Republicans represent the majority of low-income uh, congressional districts. This is true even when you uh, take into account majority black and majority Hispanic districts, which are poor and represented by Democrats, but they don't, they don't compare to the number of white, poor, poor or lower income white districts. So you have the parties shifting on education and on income. And the Republican Party has become the party of the downscale, whereas the Democratic Party is becoming increasingly the party of the upscale. So Grumbach, in a sense, is, is wrong to suggest that the Republican Party is this unity of extremely wealthy individuals with the white working class, because most of those extremely wealthy individuals, especially on the coast, are voting for the Democrats. Not just voting, but they're contributing to the Democrats. Uh, so I, I don't see the crisis. So the, the, the parties have reversed in every sense. The Republican Party is becoming the party of the working class. The Democratic Party is the party of the ruling class. What, what, why, why is this representative of a point of no return? Because the two parties are dividing and view each other with such animosity. And I would argue that the Republican Party is increasingly adopting strategies and policies designed to maintain power while in the minority. In other words, to overturn basic democratic principles of governing. Uh, the, the Republican Party is shifting control in, in a number of legislatures, control over who decides the winner of an election from election bureaucrats, basically, to partisan groups, most often the state legislature. They want to have what Trump wanted to have in 2020. They want to have that institutionalized so that if in situations like in Pennsylvania, that if the Republican legislature would control the legislature in 2024 in Pennsylvania, it could overturn the results without violating the law. It would be within the context of the law. There is a Supreme Court case being brought by North Carolina Republicans that would test this theory and would, if approved, would basically enable state legislators to assert this policy. The Republican Party, Ron DeSantis, is disenfranchising elected Democratic officials. He basically fired a Democratic uh, prosecutor in Hillsborough County uh, because he disagreed with the policies that uh, that that, that he, this guy was pro-abortion. So, so, Tom... Some people might be watching this and saying, well, this guy makes sense. But ultimately, 
what he seems to be saying is that the Democrats are playing by all the rules. The Republicans aren't. You even had a piece on this in the New York Times recently uh, from January of this year. Should we even negotiate with the Republicans? You know that, um, that the party has transformed itself uh, from a, a state institution to one of blatant chaos and disruption. Are you suggesting that the Republican Party really has, for one reason or other, alienated itself from American democracy, is no longer a legitimate player, and that we shouldn't even negotiate with them or talk to them? No. Because the, the, the problem, to, from, for the more you talk and the more I, I read your stuff, you, you seem to be... I, I take your point on the divisions, but the real problem in American democracy is, the, at least in your mind, is the Republican Party. Uh, I, uh, I would say so. In fact, I would say so. The Republican Party, I think, has got a severe problem in that it represents the white working class, evangelical Christians, uh, and rural voters all overlapping, and they all are declining. And the American politics has become increasingly a competition between basically two cultures. When you have that situation where one party is declining like that and it ha embodies a certain kind of culture, those voters are going to feel very threatened by the political process in a democratic political process. They are going to increasingly be concerned that they are going to be overwhelmed by a liberal monster, basically. But what's that? But this always happens in politics. You always have classes no, what in have crisis. What about at the end of the 90s? No. What you normally have in politics is the parties adjust to the new reality. What you normally have is parties that, that switch. Republicans did this in the past. They, they switched on. Basically, they abandoned, for example, their opposition to gay rights. You don't see gay marriage as an issue anymore. But in this case... On the Democratic issue, the, the Demo Republican Party is seeking to protect itself without trying to seek new membership among suburban voters, particularly among Hispanic voters, among black voters, only very nominal efforts at, at, at best. And they are not doing very much at that. So what becomes, Tom, of American democracy if 35 or 40 or 45 percent of the electorate of the population decide that they're hostile perhaps to the system, that they don't believe in it, that they'll support a party that will do everything it can to undermine the system. Well, we see a beginning of this process where you have literally, I don't know how many, what the number would be, but a majority of Republican voters believe that the 2020 election was stolen. Now, that just isn't true, but they believe that for a lot of complex reasons, one of which is they believe it was stolen because the Democratic Party, in their view, is so bad and so threatening that it must have stolen to, in order to win. The, but we, we have not had a circumstance before, except in the Civil War in this country, where literally a huge chunk of the majority of one of the two major parties actually believes that the election process was corrupt, and not just corrupt, but that it produced 
a wrong outcome and elected a man who should not be president. Joe Biden, in his view, should not be president. This is a this is a different ball game. We're not uh, talking about uh, uh, the normal kind of disputes that take place between political parties. So what are we going to do then, Tom? Um, you're pessimistic, but you haven't given up. You wrote an interesting piece recently, again, from last month on people trying to bridge the divide. We've had lots of shows on, on those types of people. Is there hope there? Are there lesser angels, for example, uh, groups who are, who are focused on enabling Americans of one political persuasion or other to talk across the divide? Are you hopeful about that? Uh, there have been a lot of efforts, most of them kind of academic experiments, that have had varying degrees of success, but they're very hard to apply nationally or to have a broad significant effect. And also, I think, for people, the people who participated in these experiments are somewhat self-selected, and they are people who are going to be inclined to be sort of bipartisan and goody-two-shoe uh, political type people, League of Women Voters type people. So I, I, I am doubtful about that. I think the Democratic Party needs to basically raise the issue of democracy and the, the potential threat to it to a much higher level of salience to the general public. Joe, Joe Biden did that modestly in 2022 and it turned out to be a more important issue to a lot of voters than people thought. But that isn't the danger then if they if 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 that's the case and they're actually successful. America will become a one-party state. No, I would force the Republicans to begin to rethink one function of a basic function of a political party is to win elections. What has to happen is for I think for the Republican party to learn that they can't win elections on this route. The problem is now that they feel they can win elections by basically subverting democratic procedures. They have to heighten the public recognition that there is this effort to undermine democratic procedural processes. And that has to be the only group that's going to do that would be Democrats. And particularly uh, Senate Democrats have control of committees where they could try to make this into a national public issue and raise public awareness of this. But it was done somewhat. And the end result, if you look at the 2022 election, the sort of nutcase candidates of the Republicans in purple states did very badly. They didn't, they did well in deep red states, but it, it was a beginning of a lesson and people learn from lessons. And I Isn't think DeSantis, a, though, learning from this lesson? Um, say that he's again? Not, DeSantis might be learning from this lesson. He may no, not he's be. got Florida. Uh, he's doing very well in Florida. And he, well, uh, I, what, my, my point is, is that DeSantis implicitly, at least, his, if he runs against Trump, which it seems as if he will, he's running as a winner, and he's suggesting that the, the, the Trump agenda can't win. So isn't uh, isn't DeSantis, in a way, even if he wouldn't acknowledge it, a return to normality within the Republican Party? Not from the kind of things that he's done, in fact, past legislation to do. And, and for example, the firing of the Democratic prosecutor, 
uh, the the the, uh, uh, the attempts to uh, eliminate tenure in schools to uh, uh, to really restrict the scope of teaching. Uh, you may schools. not like that stuff, Tom. I don't. But it, it, does that suggest a, an undermining of democracy? That's a that's back to politics as normal. The, the the Republicans have always been reactionary cultural warriors. Why is that any different from what Nixon did? Because they're actually passing legislation that does restrict. They, they've talked culturally conservative positions, and they have not always been culturally conservative. This, this is really. Uh, the past three, four decades is when they've become culturally conservative. It's really uh, since <coughs> Roe v. Wade. Um, used to be Republicans were actually pretty uh, liberal on, on social issues. This, uh, it, it, it turned out to be a political winning position. And DeSantis in Florida is discovering that it is a politically winning decision in Florida. But it didn't. It wasn't a political winning issue in Pennsylvania. It wasn't a politically winning issue in uh, Arizona. Uh, there, there were very competitive states, and especially now with educations rising, that 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 stance is not working. But for DeSantis, his problem is that he has to win in a Republican primary electorate before to get the nomination before he can become a... a yeah, but isn't that the nature of politics? It's always the case. It's the same in the Democratic Party. The, the, the candidates are always more radical before the national election. That's that true, Trump was different. But, but DeSantis, uh, to, to me, you know obviously a lot more about this, DeSantis seems, whilst not particularly palatable, to be a return to, 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 to normality. Well, I mean, we can argue that. Well, uh, let, let's go. Finally, then, are there are there figures within, in your view, figures within the Republican Party who we who are a return, who are trying to address these issues? I mean, obviously not Trump, or and you don't believe DeSantis is, but are there others? Well, there's people like uh, Mitt Romney, who's really on the fringes, and there's a few. House members, Brian Fitzpatrick and some others, but they're on the margin. On the whole, what is striking about the party is the degree to which they, a majority of House Republicans uh, voted a, against affirming the 2020 election results. The, uh, they, uh, Mitch McConnell, after denouncing uh, bitterly uh, Trump's behavior uh, leading up to January 6th voted against impeachment. Uh, not, there's not, they're, they're pretty, the, the, the MAGA win, wing of the Republican Party is quite influential, and basically most Republicans are not prepared to challenge it. 